Man, it's great to be back in the saddle again. I've been busy. <laughs> so it's been a couple of weeks since I have released a new podcast, I think. I did episode 31 and 32, I believe. But um, I'm actually maybe 32 was the trailer for the Healthy Mama, Healthy Baby program, which I highly encourage you to take a look at. Um, but today I'm going to be talking about it takes courage to heal. And I'm really excited to be looking into this topic because I think that with all the stuff that's going on in our media and has been, you know, for many, many years now, actually, even before preceding what's happening today in 2022, um, I think that doing something that is, uh, you know, maybe outside of the vernacular, maybe something more natural, maybe something at all, you know, even acting at all, um, it can cause some kind of strife or stress or maybe even inaction or acting um, with fear, I suppose, instead of insight. And sometimes we look to professionals when we really should be looking within. And I'm going to explore that a little bit more, but it does take courage to take charge of your own health. And I commend people who are able to do that. And also the people who are looking at the question, why am I afraid? What am I afraid of? Or is it fear that is keeping me from my health? Is it fear of acting, doing the wrong thing or going against the vernacular. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Family Health Revolution podcast with Coach Carla Atherton, where she discovers, uncovers, explores, and reveals the secrets to true family health and wellness. Okay, so let's explore that question. Why does it take courage to heal? And the first thing I want to talk about is autonomy in family health. So when we're empowering ourselves and our families to make better choices regarding our health, we're taking agency. So we're practicing autonomy, our ability to make our own decisions for ourselves and for our families. Some synonyms for autonomy are independence, self-governance, and freedom. When sometimes, we sometimes need assistance from professionals, family, or our communities, yet we are in control of our own health. So if you do what others tell you to do or follow the advice of an expert, you are still choosing who to trust, what actions to take, and what you want to believe, learn, explore, and consider. Even when we feel we're not making choices, we're constantly choosing and we're always in control. We decide not to act or we decide to act. We decide what to act upon and how. Even pacifism is a choice as is apathy. Inaction is a choice as isn't caring or engaging. In a clip from the film, The Cure Is, and I really love this clip, I've watched it many times, Bob Proctor addresses the importance of autonomy when it comes to our health. He asserts that the power to alter the course of our own health is within us all, 
and that it's also our responsibility to take control of our own lives and our own health. And you'd think that that is an intrinsic understanding, but it actually is a source of anxiety for many of us because once you, it's like when I had my babies, I never actually really thought about what a huge responsibility it was. I just did it. I just took care of them. I just took on the responsibility and didn't think too much about it. But some people, and I, it took me a while to realize this, you know, I'm like, why do people wait? Or why do people not want to have children when they kind of do want to have them, but they're like, oh, that's just too much for me. It's because they thought about it <laughs> beforehand. I just didn't really think about it. It was a natural progression of my life that when my children entered my uh, space, right, when they became, when I started to have a family or extend my family. And so when you think about it, then you realize that it's a huge responsibility. And often, and I'm not criticizing, we want someone to take on that responsibility for us. If something goes wrong, there is someone else to blame. It's someone else that made that decision. So when we make decisions regarding our own health and the health of our families, and we are autonomous and even sometimes go against what is advised by someone who purportedly knows better or more than us, um, then, you know, it's a scary thing because we don't want that um, to be our fault if we don't make the right decision. And that's understandable. So I told a story in my book and in lots of times when I do some speaking about my grandmother and how her life, um, the end of her life, really was a progression into infirmity and immobility and a high, um, I guess, dependence on her caregivers and her family. And so when I see what can happen to many older people like her who no longer feel a sense of agency or autonomy in their own destinies, I must admit that my gran is one of the lucky ones. She was one of the lucky ones. She just passed away about 14 months ago or 13 months ago. I'm really grateful for my family. Um, they were amazingly attentive to her. She always had company and phone calls. She had a fierce, resourceful, loving army of advocates. Um, once we realized she was falling through the cracks, we got out the putty and filled them in, <laughs> so to speak. We've come together to rally around her to keep her safe, warm, and comfortable. So we really, really rallied around her. But despite this, without her own autonomy and purpose, she wasn't independently happy in her own space and in her own power. And the rest of the family felt a lot of guilt, anxiety, and stress due to her situation and the few choices we seemed to have had. So, I mean, at the time, it was really sometimes quite exhausting to make sure that she got the care that she needed. It took an amazing amount of time and attention. And there was no ease to the situation and absolutely no normalcy. So it may seem as if this is just what we do as we age or enter institutions like hospitals or schools. We give up agency. We let others decide and make up the rules for us. We medicalize our natural experiences and forget that life is for living. It may seem easier if we do not have to make those decisions or feel like we have enough educational degrees to make them. <laughs> we need a degree to live. We're dumbed down, really, and taught we're not smart enough to think for ourselves. 
All right, so we get used to having information pass through the seemingly more educated gatekeepers, right? So we think people know better than us. The authority figures and policy makers. Yet as people, we can't give up our autonomy, our capacity to make our own decisions. The consequences we are much greater, or sorry, the consequences are much greater than we may think. Do we really need to rely so heavily on experts and training on how to help support move and be? We rely on so much that we are left disempowered, not even feeling confident enough to help someone sit up without calling a nurse. And that was our situation. I was just like, what do you mean? I can help her sit up and everybody's going, no, 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 don't touch her legalities. And what if we hurt her? And, you know, it made me thinking, I was just thinking, what? In most circumstances, we help people as we can. If they die, slip, or get injured, well, that's life, right? But we're smart enough to figure out what is and what isn't safe, don't you think? If we need education, we should ask for it. But if we're not able to function naturally, then what happened there? I think this is one of the main reasons why my grand couldn't feed herself anymore. We learn to be helpless. When you don't use it, you lose it. I know the kind of care my grand needs is almost or needed, and I say this in past tense now because when I was thinking these thoughts, I actually was actually still alive. So forgive me if I <laughs> slip into the present. So I know the kind of care my grand needed was almost the maximum one could need. Supports were very important, or they are very important when you slide down to this level of function, yes, and it's very important to seek out those supports when necessary. But the most significant power we have is in prevention and action to prevent disempowerment and the health problems that result by maintaining our autonomy and sense of self-reliance for both people who need care and their caregivers. Even those of us who've started to give up our autonomy can wake up to our power and take control, not only for our own health, but of those of our own destinies, sorry, not of not just our health, right? But of our own destinies. This is much bigger than making a medical decision. It's about a mindset and an an understanding about the power that you have. So I know that institutions aren't trying to replace the family, but are instead trying to provide a solution when the family can't support the individual anymore. The people who do this work are people like you and me. So their parents, their daughters, sons, grandchildren, They want to make sure there's help for people who need it. Yet it's important to understand that our growing need for such support is a consequence of a dumbed down society disconnected from ourselves, from nature, and from each other. It leads to a difficult situation where everyday living is forced and unnatural. We can be open to and take the opportunity to draw from each other's knowledge or expertise. That's the purpose of community. That's the purpose of family. There's much to be gained by learning from other people's brilliance. But it's when we think we can't do things for ourselves because we're not experts or in positions of authority, when we believe there are gatekeepers of information that need to filter down what they deem as appropriate for the masses. That disempowers us all. The more we focus on prevention and maintaining our autonomy, the less health problems we'll have and the less support we'll need. Those supports will be used only for emergency situations and not continue to be the norm, taxing our social systems and depleting our families. 
The very same principles apply when we consider the rest of our adult population and our children. Parents, grandparents, and caregivers are also responsible for the people we care for. And that's huge, right? We must draw from our own empowerment so we can do a good job without feeling lost, scared, and alone. To feel confident in the decisions we make every day. There are several things that can contribute to our empowerment. So number one, awareness, information, and education. Second one is a sense of curiosity and desire to learn as well as question. And the third one, trust in yourself and a recognition of your own power. And number four, last but not least, willingness to advocate for you and for your loved ones. And some people don't want to rock the boat, but sometimes that boat needs a little rocking. We must always consider input, but know the decisions are ours. Not only can we decide what to believe, we can also change our circumstances. So when you make important healthcare decisions, there are details to consider that'll help you to stay in control, even if those practices seem strange or offensive to your healthcare providers or other people in your life. So number one, it's important to be aware of your health history and the health history of those in your care. Keep track of any supplements or medications you or others are taking. Keep records of every medical test or treatment you get. You don't want to be in an office with a professional who's trying to help you and you have no idea what to tell them about your current condition. Know what's going on so that you can do your own research Contribute to your own investigation and be in a position to discuss solutions and work with the professionals you choose to help you. And note my words, working with the professionals you choose to help you. You do that. You hire them. Although you may need guidance at times, you're the one in the trenches every day with your family. You know the most about your own health if you're listening to your body. And again, if you're listening to your body. Okay, so number two, get used to advocating for yourself and your family. Understand that no one who has a caseload of hundreds, even thousands, can put in the time it takes to investigate everything. That's not even realistic. Make every change where necessary. Notice every area that needs to improve. Also, in systems, there's always a level of compromises that are set up to cover what they can conceivably do for the masses but sometimes need to change or expand to serve the individual or to serve more people in a more effective way. Those changes take action by you, the very person those systems are set up to serve. It's in those dialogues that we see progress and evolution. Those changes may save you a lot of suffering and can also save others. People want change when they're suffering. People want to feel good. It just takes some courage to start. But once you speak, you'll be surprised to find you have a chorus behind you. So I encourage you to not only find your own power, but use it to advocate. You don't have to be a loud or oppositional. Just figure out what will elevate your situation and the situation of those around you. Find the courage to speak when you need to. Act even when that act is simple or small, because the ripple can be wide. By exercising your own autonomy, you make changes in your family, community, and culture. Trust in your wisdom. Get clear on your motivation and goals. Recognize your hero's journey and how that journey impacts the world around you. 
I told my children once, if there's something that has the potential to hurt you, even if everyone else is doing it or are ignorant to the repercussions, be the change and not the casualty. All right, so I want to continue this conversation about autonomy in health and making health decisions to include our children. So what we teach our children about health, and that involves our language, our practices, and the example we present. If we're to change a whole mindset, a whole belief system regarding health, the first step is to unpack how we develop belief systems. How did we learn what we did about our health? How do our children learn from us? We were not sat down in a chair by a parent or teacher who had a lesson in mind, but were taught by what the people and the culture were doing and expressing around us. As a child, I don't think we ever really talked about health explicitly in my family. We didn't talk about nutrition or mental health or physical fitness. No one was ignoring anything. It simply was a non-issue. Maybe even a given that we ate, breathed, and slept. Whatever happened just happened. We lived in an environment of reactivity, never questioning until something went wrong. Although we didn't discuss health, nor were we encouraged to live with health in mind, somehow my concept of health formed nevertheless. And how did that happen? (laughs) Um, How do we become educated about something no one tried to educate us on? Through observation, examples led by adults around us, examples led by our peers, and through the complicated web of culture in which we grew up. In my case, What was being taught to me was unconsciously taught, unconsciously taught. I didn't know I was being taught, nor did my teachers understand they were teaching me even, but I was learning all the same. And words are a powerful influence. What we tell our children about health will shape their beliefs, but also how we say the things we say, what we insinuate and even what we don't say. Parents can explain why doing things to be healthy is important. They can avoid saying negative things about healthy practices and can speak up in situations when there are things going against what they're teaching their child. All of these things inform what your children will come to believe as truth. You will set your child up for greater success if you're careful to rephrase your thoughts about health from things like, I know it isn't pleasant, but eat your broccoli because it's good for you. Like, that works? No, that doesn't work. To something like, wasn't that fun making supper together? Let's sit down and eat this beautiful food. It's celebratory. It's not something they need to choke down because it's good for you. I mean, that never speaks to a child. (laughs) This takes a mindset shift in the parent first. If you don't believe it, what you may teach your child consciously and most often subconsciously will never be what you want them to learn. Just as parenting children requires us to explore how we were parented and to better ourselves through the lens of what we discover, teaching children requires us to examine what we've been taught and to teach ourselves through sourcing out better information that will move us all forward. Okay, so actions are an even more powerful influence. Who hasn't heard the phrase, do as I say and not as I do? We all know this doesn't work. 
It just doesn't. You can't eat fries and tell your kids not to eat them. Nor can you let your child eat fries while you change your own habits to eating salad. That makes no sense. It doesn't have any congruity. Either way, the message is incongruent <laughs> and only makes your points about health invalid, untrustworthy, or just something you're saying to perhaps control, coerce, or direct them. And it's sort of manipulative. It feels bad. And they just can't put their finger on why. It's confusing. This doesn't motivate a child or teen, but rather creates an environment of confusion, mistrust, resistance, and skepticism. If you don't take it seriously, why should they? If you don't try, why should they? If your child at least sees you trying and understands that mom or dad or grandma struggles too, they'll be more likely to do as you do and as you say. So the culture we grew up in may be an even more powerful influence yet. And this one is really um, a huge issue for me. It's a huge source of frustration, actually, (laughs) like calling into the gale, you know, of wind and, and expecting to be heard. Culture is very powerful. So if we let it, right, or it depends on the culture, how healthy it is. As I discussed in the section on the importance of family, um, of my book called Family Health Revolution, our current cultures in Western countries are largely based on pop, pop culture. These aren't true cultures built on healthful practices or traditions that encourage reverence and respect for self, the earth, and others. These aren't true cultures based on food and social rituals that bring people together and encourage joy and creative life expression. Not even close, actually. Sadly, volumes of the rich cultures that make up our collective population are turned down and often muted altogether, drowned out by the noise of advertising, social media, and entertainment. And this is absolutely not okay. If your children have nothing to compare to what the culture is teaching them, or if we allow for the culture to define our own family's concept of health, they'll likely get what pop culture offers, empty promises for quick fixes. As Mary Pfeiffer, one of my heroes, asserts, if we don't teach our children, the culture will. And this is all well and good when the culture is healthy, but ours is most certainly not, at least this Western pop culture. Parenting against the current culture isn't ever an easy task. Earlier, um, in my the same book I called Family Health Revolution, I mentioned it sometimes feels as if we're whispering into a gale of wind, like I just said. So I can't stress that enough. Can our children even hear us over the din, over the barrage of noise created every second of the day by an entire culture of ill health? Well, yeah, I think they can um, if we're aware. And if they're aware... If we teach them, if we watch our language, and if we understand how, um, I suppose, uh, oppositional, no, not oppositional, how unhealthy our culture can be and consistently teach our children how to critically think, to cultivate their own agency and allow them their autonomy. All right, so... In subsequent episodes, I want to talk more about, you know, sort of like this whole concept of recovery and of taking your health into your own hands. I mean, this is really what this podcast is all about. 
And I'm hoping you're fired up and ready to live your life the best way you know how. Um, to see the horizon and the possibilities. And to understand that we can take control of how we feel, our very health, and what we want to do in this life and kickstart our own family health revolutions. This podcast is sponsored by the Healthy Family Formula, which essentially means that we share our information for free. All we ask is that before you move on to the next hundred things on your to-do list for today, take what you learn and instead of waiting until Monday, January 1st, or any other arbitrary date in the future, act on it now. Buy that new food, start that new routine, shift into that healthier habit. The little steps steadily move you past the miles you leave behind you. For more information about anything related to family health, do pick up my book and check out our newsletter, blog, individual and group coaching programs, and practitioner training program at healthyfamilyformula.com. And you can also like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash healthyfamilyformula. You can find us on Instagram at HFF underscore revolution and also on Clubhouse at Empowered Family. Please note that Family Health Revolution podcast is not a source for diagnosis or medical treatment, but is the opinion of the host. This podcast is intended to empower people with information so they can make the best health decisions for themselves. It is up to each person to listen to their inner wisdom, consider the information they deem to be accurate and applicable to their individual situation, and consult with their trusted healthcare providers if they so choose when making any decisions regarding their own health or the health of their loved ones. Each person's health is their own responsibility. (laughs) 